0: we got Trevor Love here. He's going to talk about the endocrine system with us. Trevor, thank you for being on. Why don't you take a second and introduce yourself?
1: Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me. Uh, So yeah, my my name is Trevor Love. I've been working in the field of uh, performance and strength conditioning and also recently more on the integrative medicine side for about 10 years. And honestly, I've had um, the luxury and and honor of seeing athletics kind of develop into human optimization over the course of the last decade and just enjoy learning about um, all the different body systems and, and looked up to, uh, to you for a while, Tim, in regard to just you leading the pathway and integrating science into strength, conditioning,
0: and human performance, so thanks for having me. I appreciate you being on, man, um, and thank you for the kind words. So uh, a little backstory, I met Trevor through a personal friend, Taylor Johnson, uh, and Taylor and Trevor were working with e-gaming, which, if you're kind of naive like myself, no idea it was that big of a deal. And Trevor, Trevor and Taylor was actually really going through in detail of what they were doing, uh, and it became one of those ones. You're like, wow, what an interesting space of like your performance a little bit like related to your cognitive, cognitive ability and your reaction time and your skill of your mind, which man, you and Taylor actually had a really, really big focus on the actual health and nutrition side. Is there anything you want to go into that from like almost a biographical standpoint uh, before we go into endocrine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people are very curious about that. And it, it usually ha- they have to to double
1: take when they say, you know, wait, you did what? Um, and so essentially, yes, we we took traditional sport models of training and performance Um, and we brought them to esports. And so, you know, it kind of like that saying everyone is a performer, you know, no matter what industry, as you can see, even in tech engineering and biohacking and and technology, uh, Silicon Valley is a good example. Everyone's a performer and everyone's trying to optimize their performance. So what we did is we brought uh kind of our traditional periodization background and engineering programs, and we brought them to esports athletes and tried to help them optimize their sleep, their nutrition, their brain function, their bodies. Uh, Because at the end of the day, you know, we can all benefit from interconnecting every system and making sure that things are properly functioning. So it was an interesting experience, really stretched us to think outside the box. But there's a lot more similarities than differences when you're programming for someone's health and optimization. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the funny part is it all goes back to foundations. You know, we, we really weren't, you know, we're not, we're not using lasers. And, uh, you know, crazy forms of technology to optimize someone's eye pattern. Really, it it comes back to sleep, foundational nutrition, understanding core principles of body function, and the rest really takes care of itself.
0: So I think that's a perfect segue, right? Where we're going to talk about endocrine system. And normally, like when you think about endocrine system, at least I do, or some folks that came up around the time that I did, you know, you're thinking about, you know, some of the, the heavy hitters, in strength conditioning, I talked a lot about the endocrine system like Charles Poliquin, even Charlie Francis, or, I mean, shoot, like Lily Simmons and some of the other guys that looked at the systemic impact of, of high-threshold training strategies on the endocrine system. But, you know, what you just alluded to right there was athletes are athletes. If You're a CEO at a Fortune 500 company working in Silicon Valley versus you're working on one of the premier e-gaming teams in the world you're still going to have a systemic effect on your endocrine system, no matter what, there's no evading that. So my question is, you know, from a performance standpoint, you know, how do you view the endocrine system and what direction do you think we should go with this conversation? Yeah. So it's funny because when,
1: when we were on the other side, the I guess you could say the traditional side of sports, you know, there was this, this constant focus on optimizing anabolic pathways. And it, it wasn't until recently when I really focused on the potential catabolic pathway and really cortisol. But the endocrine system, I mean, just put simply, the way I think about it is various glands and tissues in our body that send messengers. And these messengers are extremely loud and powerful and impactful on other tissue. And whatever tissue they interact with, amazing things can happen. Uh, Very powerful things can happen. That can be catabolic and breaking down in nature. That can be anabolic and growth in nature. But these glands, these organs like the adrenals or the thyroid are producing these chemical messengers that are sending Um, extremely loud and powerful messages to the rest of the body. And so that's what, you know, you look on one side, you see this anabolic picture of a bodybuilder, and then you look on the other side and maybe you see someone that's wasting away and lacks any type of uh, muscle tissue in their skin and bones. That really starts at the root of the endocrine system and what kind of messages are being sent based on your lifestyle and the uh, stressors, healthy or unhealthy stressors that are being sent every single day from the brain.
0: You know, one of the things I think when you just said right there was certain ones are loud and that's an interesting phrase, right? Cause you know, what you, when you talk about endocrine system with, you know, just a general person, you know, an athlete or a client or anybody, you know, they tend to gravitate to the things that are most intuitive or the, maybe the highest frequency of stuff they're hearing about. Right. So adrenal thyroid, you know, these are. I think glands that, you know, probably more times than not comes up in conversation. And I think when you do some diving into these things and you look into what their function is, you know, as a coach trying to parlay information to a client or an athlete, you know, how do you tone the volume off of these are just glands. They're just reacting to whatever other messengers are coming from it. And those messengers are reacting to something that you are not or not doing or doing too much what is what is like that how granular do you get with folks in discussing some of these more just I don't know subservient glands that like don't really have much of a function other than just responding to information from a central processing unit yeah so
1: historically even even to this moment, this, this term adrenal fatigue, um, and this matters, you know, for the everyday person. So, you know, I think someone that's listening may think, okay, you know, this doesn't really apply or this is pretty gritty, but it really, every single moment of your day, you're waking up your cortisol waking response to terms. If you actually feel ready to go and attack the day, um, you're sleeping or your lack thereof again, goes back to cortisol, which goes back to your adrenals. So. It is so critical to understand why my adrenals do what they do. And that leads to all of the other downstream effects. Where do I store my fat? How good is my immune system? How, how well am I sleeping? How anabolic in nature am I? How am I responding to stress like training? Um, so this term adrenal fatigue has kind of been phased out. Um, because it's not a tick. It's not really an accurate term. It would be like saying a good example would be like saying, you know, for diabetics, uh, type one pain, pancreatic insufficiency. So, you know, type one diabetic needs insulin. So the pancreas isn't producing. Yeah, that's accurate for adrenal fatigue. It's not necessarily that the adrenals aren't producing or are producing too much. It's that the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the adrenals together are responding to stress and causing a physiological reaction. So that's called the HPA axis. And in regard to the HPA axis, this is where it all starts. So hypothalamus is a surveillance system. Whatever we experience every single day, our hypothalamus sends a message and that message typically is through activation of corticotropin release and hormone, the pituitary then signals adrenal corticotropin hormone. And then lastly, importantly, lastly, the adrenals will then output cortisol and that is kind of like the step-by-step phase, but it's important for someone to understand that is like, look, tiger walks in the room, stressor, fight or flight, you know, Han Selye, good old fashioned stress response system. If a tiger walks in the room, that's exactly what happens. Hi- hypothalamus assesses it, raises heart rate, raises blood pressure, releases the adrenaline um, through the locus coeruleus and the sympathetic nervous system. Then we release uh, cortisol, release hormone to the pituitary pituitary releases ACTH, to the adrenals. And then finally, we have cortisol production. Um, So a lot of people would say, you know, okay, the adrenals aren't aren't properly working. I'm low on cortisol. No, no, that's, that's not the case. The problem is that you've been activating too many tigers in your life and your body has said negative feedback loop. I'm done. No more cortisol. And now you're burnout. Um, So In simplicity terms, the most important thing I I try to communicate to any human being trying to optimize their hormones would be understanding four key stressors, inflammatory burden, blood sugar dysregulation, circadian rhythms, and then perceived stress. This is where like the mental emotional, if someone can understand the root cause of activating the HPA axis and eventually leading to chronic activation of the HPA axis, then they can really understand, okay, well, how do I get out of this? How do I improve my energy when I wake up? How do I improve my response to training? How do I improve my sleep? Well, really, it's simple. Work backwards, reverse engineer what caused it. Most likely what caused it is inflammatory burden, dysregulation of your blood sugar, some sort of perceived stress in your life, um, or circadian rhythms that are off in, in your sleep patterns. So that, that's my way of kind of going from the, the anatomy to what is the root cause in a simple way and then assessing four key stressors in someone's life and let's let's go ahead and break down those four key stressors. And, and I think you'd be surprised if someone actually reduces those stressors, how well they respond to any of these um, events that they experience.
0: Yeah, because downstream, you know, and you actually mentioned there, it's like it's really simple and, and there's an excellent description of what's happening and how do you understand that, and interpret that to someone else. Simple and simple in concept, difficult in practice, because people struggle <clears throat> with people struggle with the adherence component, which you know, I think comes back again to, you know, what you mentioned in terms of, and I don't want to overly myopically say this is the cause of why people have poor adherence, but blood sugar dysregulation. And it starts this like, you know, these rate limiting steps type of stuff, right? So we're making progress. We've realized that this is a something that we need to address and this readiness to change model like, all right, now we're in the acceptance stage and now we're going for it. Right. And now we go through the process. And one of these things has a trigger, right? And what we always talk about is figuring out. Eventually, this is going to come back into the fold, and we need to figure out strategies to overcome, compensate, or overcome that, like that that inevitable break in the monotony. So, right, like you have a crappy night's sleep, that starts a whole process of blood sugar dysregulated. All of a sudden, you start craving salt, sweet, savory foods. Then you start getting off the wagon, and you know this process and then the inflammatory markers and everything else. Right. Um, But to the point of that, and the the question I have going off of that is now you now have basically the 10,000 foot view of what's going on. Now you start zeroing in on, okay, I'm going to start removing these stressors. Do you have any built in things of like, when this happens, you do this or when that happens, you do that as opposed to just, now you know what the four key stressors are and you have to go out there and do it. Yeah.
1: Uh, like you said, right. Uh, easier in theory, harder in practice. So this is arguably one of the most complex topics that we even see in integrative medicine today. So, you know, it, it's easy to take principles that are well established and well acknowledged in medicine, even back to the 1980s and nineties and two thousands, uh, and then integrate them in athletics, you know, uh, examples would be like, hey, we do labs on micronutrients, and maybe seventy percent of people are deficient in magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for countless metabolic processes and enzymatic processes. So, athletes most likely represent this. Let's take magnesium. So, there's simple ways of integrating medical uh, deficiencies and optimization into sports. The hard ones are the ones that even the medical industry haven't figured out yet, and I think that's this. This is this is still considered cutting edge on when a patient's coming to a doctor and say, what's going on? Why, why do I feel like I have low mood? Why do I feel like I can't get rid of this autoimmune disease? Why can't I sleep? Uh, why do I have so much anxiety? And everyone's trying to figure out this, this conundrum of how to deal with stress. And the best approaches we have that I know of to date in regards to natural therapies would be if we're looking at uh, perceived stress, now we're looking at lifestyle. So we're looking at breathing techniques, we're looking at exercise, we're looking at uh, meditation, we're looking at behavioral cognitive therapy. If we're looking at inflammatory burden, commonly comes back to either deal with your injury if it's causing an inflammatory burden and deal with your diet if it's causing chronic inflammation. Uh, and typically that goes to Mediterranean diet. Uh, you can do many different diets. You know, we can argue all day about vegan, uh, paleo, keto, it doesn't matter. But one thing we do know is that the Japanese and Mediterranean's are incredible in regards to their cardiovascular disease, which is inflammatory and their cancer rates. So a uh, safe bet go Mediterranean or go Okinawan eat a bunch of fish and real foods and not box foods. And you're, you're pretty good in regards to just monitoring inflammation and blood sugar immediately we go on fiber to start the day. It's uh, fibers, you know, there's good, good study on fiber in regard to the second meal effect. So, Fiber, even if you don't change diet, high doses of fiber to start the day, particularly fermentable fibers will reduce the insulin and blood sugar spike in the second meal. So the lunch meal. So the point is, is yeah, you, you, you do want to optimize your diet. You do want to remove these, these high carbohydrate foods, unless you're training in regards, that's different, but you do want to remove simple sugars. But even if you don't consuming a large dose of fiber, about 10 grams to start the day is shown to reduce insulin, and blood sugar spikes for us today. So it's it's a starting point. Um, and then you look at, let's see, inflammatory, blood sugar, perceived stress, and then sleep. So sleep habits, you know, sleep routines, sleep environment, um, sleep nutrients like magnesium, zinc, uh, you know, GABA, 5-HTP, melatonin. Like you said earlier, get someone sleeping. First priority, get someone sleeping. It will regulate a lot of other systems. So there's, there's little tricks in each category that you can initiate uh, just to start the process of like, okay, I think we all struggle in all four key stressors, but um, some of us struggle more in one or two categories. And that may be the driving factor for the HPA access response. And, and what people have to remember is like, this isn't just cortisol. Um, cortisol is, is not even probably a topic that many people care about. But if, if we go ahead and say, okay, if you look at a graph and stage one of stress is a spike in stress cortisol production, and then eventually a drop off and a depletion and cortisol is an energy driving hormone with blood sugar that prioritizes the now and not the long term. So if you if a tiger walks in the room, cortisol prioritizes the now. It spikes, gets your heart rate up, gets your blood sugar up. But if a tiger walks in the room every day or every hour in the form of a, a key stressor that we just talked about, your body downregulates. And what happens when it downregulates is DHEA plummets and pregnenolone plummets. And so what people need to understand is that these are the the the, the beginning. Of the hormone pathway to all the anabolic hormones. And that right there is part of the reason why you would see a 25 year old walk into um, a football program, a, a training facility, or, or even a doctor's office who does bioidentical hormones who's depleted on testosterone. And they're asking the question why is this happening so much younger and younger? Why, why are bioidentical hormone doctors giving exogenous testosterone to people under 30? And and people under forty, when it used to be so common, just just for people, you know, on the decline above fifty. And typically, the answer is is multifaceted, but it could be endocrine disruptors through toxic burden. And, and we live in probably one of the most we we are. I mean, yes, we live in the most toxic world we have lived in in the history of mankind. But more than that, it's also stressors and toxins are a stressor. And we already discussed what happens when you overload your body with stressors is eventually cortisol down regulates along with your anabolic hormones and you're depleted over time. So, um, that's kind of like my, my big picture is like, look, this is not just about cortisol. This is about your, your youth, your vigor, your maintaining muscle mass response and at the adaptations to, to training. Um, if you want to be optimized, you know, maybe you've always been the type to say, Hey, I don't struggle with energy and I don't really care about cortisol. I heard it was catabolic. It's like, no, no, no. We need a balance because if it plummets, Along with the cortisol, so does DHA and pregnenolone, and, and all of your andro and testosterone. So it's it's critical to kind of understand the relationship between the good and evil there. I guess you could say it that way, um, so that you can keep everything in balance and optimized.
0: I think that's going to be probably the most important part of this entire conversation. Is you know the the theory and the the thought of this, and you know I think most people probably listen to this are strength coaching co- coaches, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. I mean, I think the the good ones realize the understanding of this is really important. The implementation is more important, or the practical, yeah, is more important. Yeah, and you know, I think you learn things that work or tricks or tools or like, and just like when you're on the floor coaching, of oh man, a cue didn't work. It doesn't mean it's a bad cue. It just means we need to either frame it differently, or say it differently, or pick a different audience. And I think the same thing with figuring out troubleshooting of these big systemic problems and finding solutions that on the floor on the daily daily or you get that text message of i don't know i'm just really struggling i don't think it was a really good plan like it was a good plan just we i picked the wrong things to go through with you or i did too much too soon or did too little at the wrong time and finding out like that and figuring out that Mm
1: -hmm. that's
0: where i think we're going to make the most impact and you know if anything like i look at myself as the anti anti-aging doctor right now of like if I can keep people training three days a week, sleeping eight hours a night, drinking water and doing a lot of the tenants you talked about in diets, like I'm probably gonna put some folks out of business for <laughs> the anti-aging, right? And like mm-hmm. because it makes those those things obsolete. And I think the same thing when I was a transition coach and athlete trainers, and it wasn't like a competitive thing. It was like, if I'm good at my job, those guys are twiddling their thumbs. And I really, really wanted that. And I really, I think that's kind of like not necessarily some sort of objective, quantifiable number. But as I look at the relative impact of things that I could do, and then one of the things that I think is most powerful is this is way beyond the scope of what I'm doing. This person has a lot of systemic issues. And, you know, it comes up all the time. And sometimes it's, uh, I think some, the more information out there, the more people start to self-diagnose and Dr. Google has told them that they are broken and diseased and they want to go out there Or the best intervention should be just let's give this a try for three months and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then we need to see higher level structures. Uh, so to that point, and I, I, I have no problem staying on the catabolic side of the window because I think there's a, a lot of information on the anabolic side, which I think is cool and sexy and fun, but you know, let's, let's keep going into the, the catabolic side. And, uh, I, I kind of would like to get into neurotransmitters and catecholamines, specifically catecholamines, adrenaline, noradrenaline, or noranapinephrine, epinephrine, and the relationship mm-hmm. to cortisol. And, you know, what, one of the things I think will be really interesting to see is, you know, you talked about the downstream effect of increased cortisol metabolizing, creating energy. Any insight that you want to go into on the relationship between some of this, you know, catabolic response, a, a tissue level, either muscle, fat, or even bone with catecholamines that you think would be relevant? And you go into the four stressors or the four key stressors and be one, those relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the common theme that we see
1: with um, any type of healthy stressor or, or unhealthy stressor would be the activation of the HPA axis, but also the sympathetic nervous system. And simultaneously this happens, you know, whether we like it or not. So uh, like you mentioned, the catecholamines, you know, norepinephrine, epinephrine, noradrenaline um, They're, when the tiger walks in the room, they're released. And um, we have to consider the fact that these neurotransmitters are responsible for our, our increased brain function, are responsible for many different, um, you know, an interesting fact is like when, when they looked at, at animal studies on stress and the HPA axis to really show that it's not just the adrenals, uh, what they found was the hypothalamus um, was, was, uh, had hypertrophy upon, with chronic stress, and then uh, the, lymph, the lymph nodes, um, the lymphatic tissue had atrophy, and then the adrenals had hypertrophy. And so they just compared like a, a healthy organ tissue on the left of an animal. And then they, they split the screen. And then on the right side, they had the same tissues and organs, but you saw like this immune system uh, gland, this lymphatic tissue was, was like half the size. And the adrenals were just swollen, real swollen. And these, these adrenals are, I mean, they're putting out they're pumping out DHEA, they're, they're pumping out cortisol. So like, you know, this is a clan that we want to focus on, but, but the same thing can apply. I mean, I think that's kind of profound in regard to like, you, you want objective evidence that there are triad systems and connections in the human body. And we haven't even figured that out. That was a long time ago um, that, you know, your sympathetic nervous system activation, where we're producing neurotransmitters um, is, is pumping out, you know, noradrenaline, epinephrine, and there's a balance to that. Just like there's a balance to it, um, to to ex- a, 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 a DHA, pregnenolone, and all the anabolic hormones, of cortisol. There's a balance of GABA and dopamine and these other neurotransmitters. On the other side, these chemicals produced by the brain, locus coeruleus, that um, need to be balanced. So, I guess my point is, is if our athletes or our players are optimized their body's pools and the nutrients needed to reproduce these neurotransmitters um, will be fine. But if they're studying all night, follow that up by a stressful meeting, follow that by a training session, followed up by a game on Friday or Saturday, um, what we're looking at is a lot of different triggers and stressors and those can be, come back to you reported as like the guy's just wired or he's tired, or he's depressed, or he's anxious, or uh, he's not responding well to my training, or he's not getting the adaptations I want, or he's injured. And what we, what we don't really look at often is like, well, the, all these things are impacting the HPA axis, the HPT, hypothalamus pituitary thyroid, and, and the sympathetic nervous system to the adrenal medulla. So uh, the adrenal, the inside of the adrenals is responsible for producing these neurotransmitters. Um, so I guess my, my bigger point here is that there's, there's ridiculous and consistent connections across the entire body when it comes to hormones and neurotransmitters that um, really all the source goes back to is the hypothalamus are, our, are, our, um, you know, I guess you could say our surveillance system. And so to be aware of that when we're when we're loading our athletes and designing programs and, and providing volume and providing demand and finding ways to replete those nutrients or to provide that uh, parasympathetic response to reset the body systems is going to be the better long-term,
0: you know, strategy. You, I, I think the hypothalamus and adrenals inflamed, or, I mean, I would almost like think too like immediately with the stuff from Steve Plisk and even Joel Jameson, are talking about overly anaerobic exercise creating left ventricular wall hypertrophy. You know, this is thought that's what's popping in my mind right now. Thinking about were autonomic nervous, autonomic or the more the other side of the actual system. You know, like the stuff that's not necessarily in the peripheral but the internal. Uh, was that ever meant to be? Increased in size, relatively speaking, to their counterparts, and, you know, and and with that being said, is like we see the downstream effects off of someone who's got left ventricular wall hypertrophy, lower cardiac output, higher resting heart rate, lower heart rate variability, and then lower mitochondrial and capillary density, and then maybe higher risk for other things, right? And in terms of like we, you just explained the downstream effects of having increased size of the hypothalamus and then the adrenals, as well as maybe adrenal aduia and. You know, it kind of just makes me in my mind think again about like, you know, we're always going to pay for the transgressions that we repeatedly do, right? There's a consequence for getting extremely fast and extremely strong. It may not have a direct effect right then and there in the path to getting to that point, but effectively you're going to go pay for this somewhere down the road, right? Like, and you think about this, right? Like someone who plays NFL offensive line. That has been walking around at three hundred and fifty pounds for ten years plus man the long long term effects of that is going to be profound right their quality of life or their quality of life is going to go down incrementally, and the same thing now we look at like this insistence on i don 't need to sleep, I just need more caffeine I need more I need to handle these stressors better as opposed to lowering my stressors. I need to handle these high glycemic inputs better as opposed to lowering them, right? It's always that like, I don't want to necessarily modify or amend what I'm doing. I want to find measures to handle those things more effectively, which it's still going to lead to the same output of your hypothalamus and your adrenals are going to be really inflamed or hypertrophied if you don't find better mechanisms to lower that. And the effect of that is you're going to have a hard time tuning down and getting quality, right, nice, sleep, right, sleep. Did you find anything in that, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of penile gland now, of penile gland being responsible a lot for melatonin and having this, like, just really symbiotic relationship with cortisol, and when we look at penile gland relative size-wise, did that atrophy or decrease in size, relatively speaking, to the adrenals, or is that, like, un- unrelated whatsoever? Well, it's funny because I think I the think that-
1: the pictures in the uh, surgery that they did was all the way back with Hans Selye. So hundreds of years ago, but um, so these are like black and white photos and they just took a side by side and um, they showed the adrenals and in the lymphatic tissue, but I don't even think they were, you know, I think we're hundreds of years away from really recognizing melatonin's role in this whole equation and, and the pineal gland. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, I mean, in terms of that, so let's say that, let's say that, hypothalamus is just now this super, super like developed tissue in your brain. And then let's say that your pituitary is just a hyper responder relayer. And let's say your adrenals are just now really, really dialed in in terms of, okay, like we're going to be so overreactive to producing cortisol because we always feel like we're in constant threat. Where does the thyroid fall into this? How does the thyroid play into that? now that this has been a big, huge problem?
1: Yeah, so um, thyroid function essentially operates in the same category as the adrenal, so the HPT axis. So, so the stress of the, the systems creates an inflammatory problem for the thyroid, and the thyroid's ability to produce thyroid-stimulating hormone will go down. Um, so this, this will regulate many different systems in our body, Um, if we're not producing thyroid stimulating hormone, then, um, we're basically looking at, you know, issues with, um, autoimmune disease. We're, we're looking at issues with, um, energy mood. Um, you know, so similarly to the HPA axis, um, we need to be aware that many different tissues, like, like for example, the thyroid are regulating all kinds of systems in our body. And the stress or the more the chronic stress um, is going to obviously impact that. So I I typically look back at like performance, um, you know, as, as a performer, especially an athlete, we have to evaluate every single system that's engineered in our body and understand, is it properly functioning? And I think one example of that would be like cardiovascular. So many of us have no clue and have never been tested and uh, think that you get your lipid panels done at like 50 or 60. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you could be walking around at at 20, 22, 24. uh, You could be playing college football and you have a genetic history of cardiovascular disease in your family and you don't really know, you know, and all of a sudden you have all these inflammatory markers, It relates back to thyroid inflammatory problem. And your immune system is too busy dealing with the inflammatory problem in your thyroid or in your, um, coronary heart tissue. And you don't realize why, why am I always getting sick or why am I always sore and more inflamed? And why don't I recover as well as the guys next to me? Um, and the truth of the matter is because you have a slow drip of inflammation in your body, whatever tissue it is, thyroid, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. Um, and your immune system is, is too preoccupied dealing with that, that when you added in training, practice, game day, et cetera, you're just not the one that recovers optimally. And you're not going to find that out until you're 46 years old when you go in for your first cardiovascular exam and you find out that you have ridiculous inflammatory markers and homocysteine levels and particle size changes, and it's causing vascular inflammation. And you think back, like, man, how long has this been going on? And uh, I probably had this at 18 because of genetic factors. I just didn't know it. And now it all kind of makes sense. So I guess it's a long way of saying that um, stress affects all tissue. Thyroid is a perfect example of that tissue. Thyroid has many important roles. But I think the, the bigger issue is understanding that if your immune system is too busy dealing with a fire, inside another tissue, it affects the inflammatory response and the recovery of all muscle and brain tissue.
0: So let's get a little bit more granular here. So TSH is down based off of just being potentially overly inflamed or having overly stressed. Mm -hmm. Now let's go into the pancreatic tissue and looking at, I don't think we slow down in terms of beta cell function and producing insulin but do we have a more localized effect of tissues either being more resistant or more accepted to certain energy molecules that are now circulating?
1: Yeah, I think, I think this kind of goes back to the, like the triage theory uh, Dr. Bruce Ames talks about, um, drink stress, which can be anything, with diabetes, pancreatic, uh, insulin output is, is a stressor. So during stress, the body will prioritize short-term biological processes over long-term. And so when we deal with like blood sugar dysregulation, someone spikes their blood sugar every single day, three to five times a day. And over time, there's too much circulating blood sugar, which impacts beta cell function, insulin uptake, And now we've got an insulin resistant problem and a diabetic and the pancreas is basically shutting itself down. Um, yes, like we are, we are dealing with, um, you know, in an energy issue due to the lack of regulation of the blood sugar. And yes, the, the tissue itself, um, is now the priority of, of our nutrients in our body, of our, um, anti inflammatory processes, and we are shifting all of our firefighters and our emergency rescue teams to the pancreatic tissue, which is going to take a toll. Which is why there's so many different comorbidities with people who deal with, you know, pancreatic insufficiency or diabetes or insulin output. You know, you name it. When it comes to okay, now now they also died of a heart attack, um, or they have a autoimmune disease or immune, They always get sick. I mean, COVID. It's like top two risk factors. They always says. Uh, cardiovascular disease and diabetes the the immune system is too busy dealing with the pancreatic problem
0: so on another level uh let's say that you know we started an exercise regimen right and we found out that high intensity interval training helps in terms of improve fat burning right We, we saw an article in men's health that man like if i do hit 20 minutes in the morning fasted i can improve cardio i can improve fat burning right you know that's so yeah going down the rabbit hole of like oh man this is gonna be pretty good i just gotta set my routine so we have a person that one has poor endocrine function through overly stressed they have poor endocrine function from high blood sugar overall systemic inflammation then they have a lot of other stressors. And that guy who says, I'm gonna do high-intensity interval training because celebrity trainer says that that's good. Does he get the same effects as he would if he cleared up those things and focused on some of those lifestyle factors that you mentioned before, or is it a chicken or the egg? And does he go right into those high-intensity intervals And then everything initiates off of that. Yeah, that's a a good question. I mean, I think, I think the answer, maybe we don't know yet, but I think
1: one obvious answer is like, yes, it's chicken and the egg at the same time. Um, So we know another example is kind of like, do we deal with the root cause of stress or do we supplement the nutrients that support the HPA axis first. And the answer is like, really you do them simultaneously. So like I'm going to go within a Mediterranean diet at the same time that I utilize nutrients that um, will support cortisol production if I'm low. So I guess in regard to like exercise and optimizing this high intensity interval training, um, but somebody is you know already on the metabolic disease pathway or uh, just has whole blood sugar dysregulations affecting the hormone output. It's like, the The optimal approach would clearly be, um, if you're looking at behavioral therapy, not to do too much too soon. But if you're looking at the perfect approach, would be to optimize the the lifestyle change and make the uh, the dietary changes, make the supplement changes, you know, make the four key stressor changes, and then optimize the exercise simultaneously. Um, and I think so. There's a good, there's a kind of a good uh, list of like one, two, three, four punch. But when it comes to looking at this category of like blood sugar and understand how to optimize. It's like, there's a couple problems and it's fairly simple. It's, it's too much fuel, not enough utilization of the fuel leading to mitochondrial dysregulation or dysfunction leading to oxidative stress and inflammation. And so too much fuel, we just talked about that, optimize what they eat and their nutrients that they supplement. Utilization of the fuel, okay, let's, let's get them on an exercise routine, high intensity interval training. Um, then this together will optimize mitochondrial function, is at the root cause of every single cell and then lastly because they're exercising and changing their lifestyle and nutrients in food their oxidative stress level at the cellular level and inflammatory burden will decrease um, so yeah that's kind of the way I think about it
0: so it's not a one-off thing I can just do a hit and all sins are, uh, <laughs> sins, sins are
1: there's definitely yeah there's <laughs> There's a cure we're looking for. That's one thing for sure that we're, we're going to find, uh, we're going to, until the day we die, we're going to be looking for that one cure. And, uh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. That's the nature of our country. The joke,
0: the joke at my gym is I've been heavily influenced by Catholicism and Catholic guilt. And like, I'm just walking around making people feel guilty about all the time. Whether it's it's habit shaming or body shaming or whatever. Like I'm just now making people feel like, they're not good enough at all times. And, um, it's, a, it's a motivating factor, though. No, yeah, Can no, I get Tim?
1: To, can I get Tim's approval? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it goes into this weird godlike complex that you can. <laughs> you know? um, so, um, so this is. I think it's just an interesting uh, thing to think about for me. I guess. Um, and this might be a really technical question. Uh and we can go case study on this. We can literally, I'll tell you a, a made up story and I'll give you a little hint. It's myself. Um, it's so in a situation where you go through a lot of stress, small business owner, blah, 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 the whole thing, uh, going into an agri- extremely aggressive week of training, we call it muscle mentorship uh, where we go two days for five days straight and just go for it. Right. You know, just see the upper limits of what you can do from a training volume and intensity standpoint, in a given week, which, You know, from time to time, I think it is a hoot, right? You know, like, it's good. Not a good idea when you're 40, but if you have your ducks in a row, you know, you're talking about, like, the folks out there that, like, want to do an ultra marathon. the folks out there that want to do Navy SEAL training for a week, you know, like, let's get wet and sandy kind of concept. So from the lens of, like, what this week was, it was incredibly impactful, right? Like, from a stance of, man, I'm just really, really tired. I'm really stressed. I found that I had symptoms that I never had before, you know, extreme anxiety, depression, I was manic at times, I was really easily tempered, like this was like, heavily, heavily influenced by the week of training that we did. So I turn around, let, let me do this the right way. Let me figure out what's going on. Schedule an appointment with my doctor, Dr. Laval, and got my blood work done. Turns out testosterone's really, really dropped, right? Dropped 400 points, went from 770 to, to, to 310. And then my free dropped from 124 to like 30. Um, just egregious drops. My thyroid has antibodies. Uh, my monocytes, eosinophils, basophils are up, relatively speaking. Uh, everything's just off, right? And it, and you could feel it, right? You know something's off. And it had a really good discussion off of like, so you know, what do I do? You know, like. And I think that would be the you know just a credit to Doctor Eval, like. This would be that time where it's at a very acute action, and I think usually responds with a very acute reaction. And when we looked at that, you go, "Oh man, this would be the perfect time for TRT, right?" Like I've just dropped dramatically. Let's stimulate some stuff. But him being the, and I was kind of hoping he wouldn't say that. And thank, <laughs> thankfully, that's why I pay him um, what do because I think he needs to have that that longer approach and that perspective of that well, let's see what a couple months of taking care of your body and stress management and all these other things will do. But what he brought up, and this is the real question, is at the end, instead of doing blood, we should do dried urine and look at metabolites. And there's a couple companies, and one I'm probably going to do with Dutch, but what is your take on, is it a combination of the two? Is it like, what is a good cadence in your mind off of, blood versus dried urine or even saliva to assess these things because before i did muscle mentorship i did a saliva assessment on cortisol and dhea man that was great like it was like you might as well snapshot that send it back to all the the saliva sample companies in the world like this was what it should have looked like you know um obviously i was not I was not adequately prepared physiologically going into that based off of how much I was destroyed after that, or it was just really bad planning. But in terms of going forward, you know, the cadence is going to be in December. I'm going to get a dried urine sample to see what my metabolites off of these hormones are. But do you have any perspective on those two variables and how they interplay with each other? Are you like leaning towards one more than the other now? Are you... Talking with doctors, I and mean they're like, "Hey, I need a combination of both. I need to see what your current levels are, as well as what." The- yeah, it's a
1: a good question. We we kind of dive into that world with Dutch, but it's not obviously our main focus. My my main focus is kind of how to take the Dutch and the Dutch test. So I guess I'm referring to it: how to take a hormone panel and, and those those results and have a doctor, you know, get to work and let's fix it. I've noticed is that there. Like precision analytical or dutch these companies that are specializing in measuring hormones and cortisol and the cortisol response uh diurnal patterns etc is the uh, it's saliva and urine uh combination and i think the urine combination is where we bring in all the hormone metabolites and then the saliva is mostly just the cortisol dhea and then different time points um but i will say i have a couple things i, I think it's a interesting case study on yourself. Cause I mean, I've done the same thing and I, I have a, a similar uh, story, but firstly, I would say that, um, in regards to, you know, what you said with, with Dr. Laval, I, my guess would be that you were already in stage one. I'm not sure what you guys discussed. Cause I, I mean, I haven't also measured you, but you may have been, you know, in a stage one stress response, high quarters already. Then you go into that week and you, you just blast a trigger, and a heavy stressor, and your body down-regulated. And with that, you know, cortisol may have dropped, but testosterone, testosterone clearly dropped. Um, and so that was, like, what your your body needed in order to kind of set it over the edge and complete the negative feedback loop of, like, you know, all right, Tim, we've had enough. Um, so that, that would be kind of, like, my outside guess. Um, my personal case study with this would be, like, for about 10 years, my least productive moment of the day was about three or four, or at least productive hours, about three or 4 p.m. I never really felt like afternoons, I had a lot of energy. And so I did the Dutch Plus test, you know, did the hormone panel, did my cortisol, and to find out that I was normal at every point in the day, and I was low, right, right at three stinking p.m. And so I think it's, I think a lot of people have these symptoms, they just don't know it, you know, um, I mean, you clearly figured it out because yours is a little bit more extreme. But oh, the other point I was going to make was that the cortisol awakening response is so critical. And as you were talking about um, measuring saliva and dried urine metabolites, I think along those lines, the most progressive way to measure someone's resilience, and I, I could almost uh, theoretically estimate that your cortisol awakening response, which, was, which is zero minutes after wake up. So the first thing you do 30 minutes after wake up and 60 minutes after wake up and it's three points and that's it was probably flat. Um, and that typically is a, so when someone down regulates their HPA axis cause they're exhausted. Um, but that's, that's kind of the newer, more progressive way of measuring someone's brain resilience is like, look, we diurnal's great you know, single point is not so great, you know, four point diurnal is good, but, but if you can measure someone's cortisol awakening response, the car, they refer to it, that's kind of the future of stress testing, hormone testing, and seeing how body, how bodies are resilient. Because at the end of the day, you and I can do a four point diurnal and, um, you know, we can get a snapshot of our day, but every day looks different. And every day has variables and every day has different stressors. And if you stink and drink coffee and work out, it'll throw off your whole pattern. So um, the point is, is that you an autonomic response, like waking up, you can't control it. It is what it is. And uh, for the most part, you can, you can do 60 minutes in the morning um, where you can't really adapt your uh, waking up process that much. It's going to happen. And you're going to, you're going to, pump out hormones however you want to pump out hormones. So if you want a snapshot of how healthy someone's hormone system is and how resilient it is to the stressors in the life, I think personally based on the current research that CAR cortisol awakening response, the car test is the best simple, cheap way to find out, am I optimized? Am I stressed out and high anxiety, work-related right when I wake up? Or am I down regulated? And I'm completely flat. So that means, you know, I, I feel, I feel unmotivated, low energy, low vigor to start the day. But yeah, long answer to, uh, saliva and urine, I think, uh, is the, the best way nowadays to test those things.
0: Good news is, uh, the bolus dosage of vitamin D one time a week. Uh, I improved my vitamin D levels from 27 nanograms per deciliter to 57. So that was, hey. that was a huge win. Uh, the yeah. on that. And can, I almost doubled it. it. Oh yeah. I know. And I, I have no idea why it was that low, uh, this time last year when I did it. Uh, I think I have adequate sun exposure. I think I have all these other variables, but whatever. Um I just I was taking five thousand I use it, a day. It just net was not positive. So uh, really yeah. fired really fired up over that, which you know it's like good to get a win. Um but you know, um I kinda wanna wrap wrap up the whole conversation here because you know, there's I think there's it's important that we have the takeaway. Uh and I'm gonna lay it up for you here. Like, you know, review those four stressors again because of four key stressors. And, and if we can just close with that, cause I think that in itself is the most powerful takeaway I got. And uh, I'm assuming if I, we want to get this out to the folks out there that are going to latch on to, you know, a couple key topics, we might as well force the agenda of what we think is going to actually be the yeah. narrative. Um, so yeah. uh, please, by all means, and if there's anything else you want to throw in there about the endocrine system, uh, by all means, man. Okay. Um, so my
1: my biggest regret in regards to, you know, early on in strength and conditioning was not addressing this and not addressing it enough, uh, because the hormone system is such a powerful system of the brain and a powerful system that is going to adapt to, um, or it's going to influence your adaptation to training. So if, if you can focus on this with your athletes, I think it's, it's underutilized and often, um. We get so caught up with like the acute response to training that we forget chronic output, and and you're you're really looking at you know two three four years with a with a person and educate them on this. It'll so go a long way. So um, the four imagine them like a circle with an arrow, all four pointing to the middle. And at the core of the circle is your brain. And that's where we know the stress response system or the endocrine system begins. And so the four key stressors are inflammatory burden, which you have to remember that inflammation can come from many places. So clean up the diet, clean up the injuries, and then if you can find, find out genetic factors. There's some people are just inflamed in certain regions of their body and you figure out how to deal with that. Um, Perceive stress. So now we're dealing with more of like the psychological side. You have to get people to understand how to stress management, how to deal with hardship, how to deal with adversity. You can't just ignore this and say, be tough. You know, we got to find ways to help people lower their perceived stress, get away from triggers, get them in the news, get away from whatever it is. Um, even sometimes it can be family, but you name it. Manage the perceived stress. Um, after that would be circadian rhythms. It's it's no uh rocket science to strength coaches how important the sleep uh quality and quantity is. So understanding how to improve your players' circadian rhythms and um more than just sleep, understanding like exposure to light, uh exposure to blue light at night, turning off your phone, turning off the TV, sleep routine, sleep habits. If we can optimize that as a whole, the circadian rhythm will improve. Obviously traveling, jet lag, um, utilizing nutrients and habits and stretching and yoga and breathing to optimize that travel. Um, And lastly, blood sugar, which I think is a huge one because no one, everyone's thinking blood sugar from like, look, uh, my plates are healthy. You know, uh, they don't have diabetes. Maybe they do, maybe type one, but it's pretty early in life They already have type two diabetes. But um, my my point is, is we're thinking, how do we spike insulin? How do we drive amino acids? How do we maximize gains from training? They burn so many calories. How do we replenish carbohydrate, glycogen storage? Yeah, that's, that's obviously a a priority. But after this, we have to think through like, are your players crushing three bowls of, you know, fruit loops before bed? You know, so how are we managing blood sugar, not around the acute response? In training, but rather holistically, every day of the week, you know, the entire year. If you can manage blood sugar, you will manage the stress, which will manage the cortisol, the DHA, the pregnenolone, and the anabolic hormones. And so, you, the last thing you want is their diet to be a reason why their their anabolic hormones are low. Um, so, those are the four: blood glycemic regulation, circadian rhythm, inflammatory burden, and perceived stress. If you can improve those through simple strategies. Um, then you're looking at a system that's pretty optimized and then then you can go on and now we can actually talk about training and, um, and they're healthy stressors and now we can actually respond well to those.
0: Man, that, awesome. I uh, really, I just appreciate your time and the message I think is one, step your game up if you can't recite all of the the pathways and all the things on that. Like, I, I don't think necessarily like it's something that we know where the bar is, and we know where you know, folks like yourself out there are, one, committing to, one, working your ass off to understand this stuff and really, really find really good ways to apply it. Uh, but I find it so frustrating when coaches out there like just ignore things that are just incredibly inhibitive to what they want to accomplish. And uh, it's don't get me wrong, I mean, it's a testament to your aspect your level of commitment to know this stuff like in and out like that uh and if it's effort you know and it's just busting your ass and trying to learn this stuff because it's not something that like we're getting from our undergrad at the level of this right or this much detail and then the other side of it is man you're really gonna have to work to figure out practical solutions and you're gonna have to think about this a lot and you're gonna have to get a lot of reps uh and i always looked at it like man, this was not an edge. I think this should be the expectation. And whenever I worked in a college environment or a team setting, you know, I always felt really, really like headstrong about going and finding this stuff out because it was so important to the bottom line and everyone else out there like, Oh, that's your bag. Yeah, you're just like, this stuff too much. You know, like, or you're just you geek out on this. Like I mean, this is prerequisite information, you know, not to maybe like, not everyone's going to have your level of understanding of this but if anything knowing that you exist out there at the level that you do and everyone else out there is not motivated and encouraged to go out there and dive deeper and learn more you know then that's on them and you know it's not saying that this is prerequisite you need to know the exact pathways of everything from the HPA to the HPTA access like all the way start to finish memorized But you need at least know where to find it and you need to understand the concept and you need to at least put some work into getting a little bit more comfortable with understanding how to communicate that to a functional medicine doctor, and then communicating that to the guy who's just read men's fitness, I want to do high intensity interval training, and looking at the go-between between those two, and that's where you service. And yeah. you need to communicate to Dr. Laval, but you also need to communicate to the guy who's like, I just don't like the way I look, and I don't like the way I feel, can you help me here? And he's gonna throw a question at you like, hey, do you believe in ketogenic diets? Do you believe in, in intermittent fasting? Do you believe in the supplement? Do you believe in high intensity interval training? And in some way, shape or form, you have to have an answer that fits into this larger, bigger sequence thing through the four key variables that you decided or described, as well as, you know, the overall system and everything has a consequence, right? Like you talked about Dr. Saley and his research looking at the size of glandular tissues, you know, that is a direct intervention based model where they found out that if we apply a lot of stress to animals in a controlled setting, they respond to this way. Now, we are in that st- like study, and we're actually going through that ourselves, like individuals, right now. N equals one right now, and then you throw in all these other variables, like we're open systems. So, like at that given moment, the rat has nothing to do but choose whatever food's in front of it. We can respond to that stress in multitude of ways, and we can cope by getting more nutrient-dense food, and we can cope by saying I don't have motivation to train today. I can cope by doing destructive things to my body, and we're sitting there saying, is that really a good idea that this person should get their heart rate cranked up to 90% for 20, 30 minutes? Like, or is it the other way around? Like, I don't know if they need that much of a catecholamine release right now. They need probably less of that because it's already inflamed. Everything's all off, you know, and and maybe they're doing biomechanically incorrect stuff too. Like there's a whole other aspect. Like are you going to do thrusters and silly things that are biomechanically limited? Like, okay, you don't have a shoulder, prerequisite shoulder mobility. You don't have the pattern built in. You're doing 100% anterior chain stuff. Okay, so not a great idea to do glycolytic work with poor exercise selection. You add a whole another list of that, right? But they look a certain way. And the list goes on and on and on. And my point being is, if you don't know how to communicate to that person in a simple and succinct way what's going on, as well as go to that guy on the other end of the spectrum that is just in it, and they know, understand, and comprehend just how a blood panel looks and, or a dried urine sample or saliva sample looks, and you're in that middle point of, like, trying to take that information and knowing the systemic effects of this destructive habits and behaviors where the other person is just trying to get through the day, you know, you need to figure out your role here, you know, and... And I think that part too. It's like you should be. If you're weak in the area of understanding this stuff, you need to put the work in. If you're weak in the communication area, you need to put the work in. Either way, go to work, you know, and get practice and get reps, and never take shortcuts. Because trust me, that you'll pay for it in the end. Just like that person who's looking for a shortcut in front of you, don't look for a shortcut on this. Don't double down on stuff you're already good at. Like I already know how to communicate to that person, you know, like or I already know how to. I already know the science aspect. Okay, well. Accentuate some areas that you're not so good at. Um, mm-hmm. uh, long ran in my part in that, but man, I just want to say thank you. Uh, that was uh, really, really good. Uh, and you guys will have all the stuff in the notes here on how to contact Trevor if he wants you to contact him. And then uh, we can go from there.
1: Thanks for having me, Tim. And I appreciate you continuing to lead in this field of performance. So you continue to be, a, you know, an inspiration and um, a thought leader. So I appreciate you having me on. Awesome.